Oh, it's a beautiful time to be Christians for a time like this. But let not Satan steal and rob our peace for trivial things that doesn't even make sense, that we need to rise above and walk in God's love, especially at this time of year and every day of the year. The scripture, Isaiah 9, 6, 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let us be hearers and doers of God's word. We are blessed, church, to know God in a world, in a time such as this. Amen. I want to be a worker for the Lord. I want to love and trust in holy word. Two eleven through 14. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And selling there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. You be seated. I want to say good morning, and whether you remember this Franklin family or visitor, even if you're a virtual guest, I'm grateful that you are here today and grateful that God has brought us together for yet another opportunity for worship, praise, and fellowship among those of us who be the saints of God. Again, good morning. Uh, shortly, I'm going to open my Bible to uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And as we open our hearts and our minds, looking at Isaiah chapter 9, we want to open up to the sweet surrender of God and his word as well. My invitation to you to join me there is to look at the context for today's lesson, Christ, crib, or the cross. Christ, crib, or cross. There he is. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, Christ, crib, or cross. Now, even though most of the pomp and ceremony had more to do with man-made tradition and culture rather than scriptural teaching, I'm always thrilled that at this time of the year when, when the majority of the world stands still and recognizes the birth of the Christ child. I'm always thrilled and amazed that any time anyone would tip their hats to God at all, you find this time of the year nativity scenes are prevalent because the world celebrates the coming of Christ. We see signs that say peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And it always amazes me at how many people place nativity scenes in their front yards. We have shepherds, lambs, donkeys, Mary and Joseph. We have three wise men standing under a thatch roof, gazing at a baby in a manger. And we end up taking these scenes for granted and it's more commonplace than, than just anything else. You know, David Roper said one time, he says, we keep the Christ child around to grace our mangers, but he's merely one symbol among many. I mean, there's Rudolph, there's Scrooge, there's the Grinch, there's St. Nicholas and the elves, toy soldiers, drummer boys, shepherds, angels, Christmas trees, and, and Yuletide logs. And then there's the baby Jesus, and all these vie for our attention, right beside the other one. Everything sits alongside everything else. There seems to be nothing special about the Son of God anymore, except he's just a part of this Yuletide clutter that we see all around us. So I think it's only fitting for us to give some thought as to why Christ came. If we only focus on the crib of Jesus, we lose sight of the cross of Jesus. The world needs a clearer vision of who Jesus is. Because in a sense, as a preacher, my job is to, to help the blind to see. Just as an optometrist endeavors to sharpen our vision as he clicks from one lens to the next. Preachers everywhere, ministers of God's word, endeavor to sharpen our spiritual focus. And we preach Jesus with each sermon that comes from our very being. Now, a job is sometimes difficult because, because people want to see Jesus through the circumstances in which they live. They don't necessarily want to see Jesus through the pages of the Bible. They want to see him through the circumstances that they live in. And it makes it hard to see Jesus as he, as he truly was, as he is right now. At this time of the year, there's much passion that surrounds Jesus' birth. When we tell the Christmas stories, usually verbally, 
and it's emotionally embellished, it's sensationalized all the time. We clean up the barn, we take down all the cobwebs, we clean out the animal waste, and we place the barn on our front lawns. We place Jesus in a manger, and for some, that's where he's gonna be forever, in that manger. But to truly see Jesus, we must understand who he was, and we must follow each step of the way as he travels from eternity to the crib, to the cross, to the cross. Listen, has anyone ever told you <laughs> what you said? Anyone ever told you what you, what you meant to say or, or what they thought you said? And, and you have no earthly idea as to, as to what they are saying. And the words that come out of your mouth was, I didn't say that. Or I didn't even say it like that. And if you're married, or been in any kind of relationship for some time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I didn't say that. Oh, yeah, you did. Let me tell you what you, amen? <laughs> like we can't remember. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I want to take a look at what Isaiah actually said this morning. He said, for unto us, a child is born, unto us a savior is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's what Isaiah said. That's exactly what Isaiah said, but if you fast forward 2,000 years, here's what people thought they heard. They thought they heard a verse about the birth of Jesus Christ. They thought they heard a verse about the Bethlehem theme, a story that's celebrated at this time of the year. But Isaiah didn't say that. All right? Isaiah didn't say that. It's not what he's talking about at all. He's not talking about the birth of Jesus. He's talking about the work of Jesus as a man, as the Christ, as the Savior. So here goes, we live in a phenomenon of, of what he actually said, or what he meant to say, and what does hear him say as we read chapters 9, 6 through 7. And I'm going to tell you the truth, if Isaiah was here today, and he would have told him that he was talking about the birth of the Christ, he wouldn't have known what you were talking about. He wouldn't have had no earthly idea, because that's not what Isaiah said. These are those who've decided what kind of Messiah they want to serve so they hear what they want to hear. These are those that have decided what kind of Jesus they want so they hear what they want to hear. The question is, what have you decided? Who is your Jesus? The one that's born to life or born from the dead? Some people choose both and some choose neither. But when we go back to the Bible and take a fresh look at Jesus, our focus is enhanced. And only then can we see the real Jesus Christ. Imagine, imagine seeing Jesus like you would see any great historical figure. We go back to study the great men of the past, and, and you may not know what they physically look like, but you try to understand what made them tick, so to speak. What motivated them? What was the driving force behind their lives? And when we understand all those aspects, only then do we get a mental picture of what these people were all about. It is the same way with Jesus. If we only see the renditions that we've been exposed to, 
if we only see those preconceived notions that we grew up with, whether it's in a secular world or a religious world, then we cannot really know who Jesus is. We can't know his motives. We can't know the driving force behind his life. If we would endeavor to see who he was and the reason for his coming, then that would give our mind's eye a much better picture of who Jesus is other than a baby in a manger. Philip Yancey wrote a book. In his book, this is what he said. The Dakota tribe sees Jesus as a buffalo calf of God. The Cuban government distributes a painting of Jesus with a, with a carbine slung over his shoulder. It's a, it's a short-butted rifle. That's what that is. If you look at the world of academics, you encounter Jesus as a political revolutionary. The world looks at him as a magician, a Galilean charismatic, a rabbi, a peasant Jewish cynic. Some people look at him as a Pharisee or even equivalent to the hippies of the 60s. Norman Evans, this is his Jesus. He says, my Jesus, I guarantee you, Christ would be the toughest guy who ever played the game of football. If you were alive today, I would picture a six foot, six inch, 260 pound defensive tackle who would always make the big plays and would be hard to keep out of the backfield for offensive linemen like myself. Fritz Peterson, baseball player, former New York Yankee. I firmly believe that if Jesus Christ was sliding to second base, he would knock the second baseman into left field to break a double play. He might not throw a spitball, but he would play hard within the rules. Listen to me. Comparative religious studies about Jesus aren't much better. Even some religious books that we have, they have that foul twist of propaganda when it comes to defining Jesus. We see Jesus portrayed in pictures with a lamb cradling his arms. Other scenes see him with his arms outstretched. We portray Jesus on Christmas cards, and the cards say, peace on earth and goodwill to men. We see him portrayed in clothing, supposedly that he would have worn if he lived in the 15th century. What blocks our vision of Jesus? Because the religious people of Jesus' time had difficulty seeing Jesus also. The Pharisees saw him as a demon, a wine-bibber, and a glutton. They saw him as a blasphemer because he claimed to be God. They saw him as a lawbreaker, a man who preferred the company of sinners. But they were like many who go to the Bible, and they had their vested interests who had need to support their own theological bias concerning the Messiah. And they never, ever get past the baby Jesus. Even his disciples can't wait scratching their heads sometimes. They was asking themselves, well, well, who is this guy? And it's amazing that the disciples had left all to follow Jesus and were trying to give him all that they had. And yet Philip said in John 14, 8 through 11, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Don't you know me, Philip? Even if I've been with you for such a long time, don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak, they're not my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. So you believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe the works that I've done. When we study the Bible, when we do study the Bible, when we really get to it, we invariably bring to the text all that we are. 
with all our experiences and with all our culture and, and our prior understanding of, of the words and ideas that we have that are preconceived. Sometimes we bring to the text and leads us astray or, or causes us to read all kinds of foreign ideas into the text. And this was also happening with the disciples as they looked at the scriptures concerning the Messiah. They looked Jesus square in the face and with all those ideas they had, it distorted their view of who Jesus really was. They failed to see the Messiah. Didn't understand what he was trying to do. Didn't understand what, why he did the things he did. And he didn't understand how he was going to go about doing those things. John 14, 22 through 24, the Bible says this. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. My father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will abide with him. We got our home with him. He who does not love me and will not obey my teaching, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And if you don't understand what Jesus is saying here, it might be because you don't see him as clearly as you ought to see him. If you don't understand what Jesus is saying here, it might be because you're seeing him from your own perspective. Disciples are not different from any of us. They were just like us. They had difficulty seeing Jesus because he failed to meet their expectations. They were trying to see him through the blurred vision of their own hopes and dreams. When they looked at Jesus, their minds flashed forward to the hopes and dreams of a restored national Israel. They were seen as a victorious, revolutionary conqueror and a king. But Jesus didn't act like that. He didn't like a, a revolutionary or, or a conqueror or even royalty. The difficulty in seeing the real Jesus is that we tend to make him into what we want him to be. Difficulty comes in. So he becomes the toughest defensive lineman on the field. He becomes a baseball hero who plays hardball without breaking the rules. He becomes a shepherd holding a lamb or a person with outstretched arms saying no matter what you do, everything's going to be all right. Or Jesus forever comes a baby confined to a manger laying in a in the crib. Matthew begins his gospel this way. He begins his gospel with the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ, and he traces it to the lineage of Abraham. Luke begins his gospel with the birth of Jesus Christ, tracing to the lineage of Adam. But John begins his book with, with, with Jesus' eternal existence. He says, in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was God, and, 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 and God was, was Christ, and Christ was God. He says, in the beginning... He created all things, and he's the light of the world. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All the miracles that John recorded were for the express purpose of allowing us to see that Jesus was God. Was God. And when John wrote his Gospels, the phrase Son of God, it was tainted by, by misleading associations in the minds of the readers. Everybody was a son of God. Jewish theology used it as a title for unexpected human Messiah. Greek mythology told many sons of God they were supermen because they were born of a union between a God and a human woman. But in neither case did the phrase convey the, the thought of personal deity, Jesus Christ, God's son, our savior. The truth of the matter is that his deity was excluded in both of them. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We're telling the story here this morning 
of Jesus. And what we hear Isaiah say and what he did not say. Matthew 2, 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he has seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Listen to me. When God became flesh, he did not cease to be God. Let's say that again. When God became flesh and dwelt among us, he did not cease to be God. He was no less God than before. But he had begun to be a man from the time of his conception. God confined himself to the uterus of a woman and came to this world as we all come into this world. He was born outside and they put him in a, in, in a manger in a little inn because no one had the decency to offer a young woman who in labor a, a bed to lay her head. So they placed him in a manger. Manger. Callous. Callous and degrading. What a scene that was. It's even harder to imagine why God chose such a lowly birth to save even me. Degradated and callous sinner as I am, why did he chose such a lowly birth just to save me? But the gospel writers, when you look at the gospel writers, they, they, they tell the birth of, of the story of Jesus dispassionately and without comment about the circumstances other than just stating the facts. That's what they do. To them, it wasn't the circumstances of his birth, except that it fulfilled a prophecy to take place in Bethlehem, but they dwelt on the baby, the identity of the baby, and that baby was God. Listen to me. That baby was God. And what an entrance God made into this world. That, that, that the God that made man was now learning firsthand what it felt like to be a man. He made the angels, and, and now he's lower than the angels. Even the angels that rebelled and became Satan would now become his tempter, and, and because of his life and the conflict that he goes through with Satan, he would prove that he is the Christ that comes from God. Hebrews 2, 16 through 18. For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm in the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. And we wonder, after we read that, why the gospel writers so dispassionately pass over the circumstances of the birth of Jesus. It's because they emphasize the steps downward that led God to Calvary. Because it's at Calvary that their passion for Christ is displayed. Jesus says, John says, that the word became flesh. And Paul says 
you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. God emptied himself. He stripped himself of all privilege, of all rights. He made himself of no reputation. He became poor for your sake. He came to this earth to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We see the story of creation in Genesis. We see the call of Abraham. We see the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. We see God working with Joshua, with the judges and with the kings of Israel. We see God working with Ezra and Nehemiah, bringing God's people back from Babylonian captivity. But when we come to the life of Christ, we witness the greatest mysterious event that eternity has ever witnessed. Because it is here, it is here that God refused to cling to the privileges of heaven while leaving us to grope in the stark realities of sin that encompasses our lives even right now. He stripped himself of every advantage by consenting to be a captive of human nature. And so he was born as a man. And it was the beginning of his 33 years of life that lived upon this earth that defines the Christ and his greatness and his glory. And it all ended when he humbled himself and became utterly obedient to the point of death. And the death he died, he died like a common criminal hanging on a cross. It was at that moment that God descended into the greatest moments of his existence. He confounded the, the wisdom of heaven and earth. This was the, the defining moment of, of God's being. He says, I am who I am. And this is what we celebrate when we, when we surround the Lord's table. We celebrate and we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of the Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 20. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish, had made foolish the wisdom of this world? 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. That God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You think you're smarter than God? 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 10. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the, nature, among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of, the, of, of this age understood it, for if they had understood the story of the Christ, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What we glorify, what we see, we glorify Christ's ascent to heaven, but it was this descent that was the crowning achievement of his life, his descent to the grave. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus came down to this world and he came down from the very bosom of God. The one worthy of, of, of all worship and the source of all power was born as a helpless baby in a dirty animal stable. So he was born. 
And, and once his life on earth began, he never stopped descending. Get a load of this. Jesus was omnipotent, but he cried. He was the owner of all things, but he had no home to lay his head. He was the king of kings, and he became a bond servant. He was a source of truth, and he was found guilty of blasphemy. He was the creator, and his creation spit on him, and they're still spitting. He was the giver of life, and he was crucified naked on the cross, bleeding and, and gasping for air as he pushed upon the nail to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. From the pinnacle of praise in the universe to the ultimate debasement and the torture, Jesus died a death on the cross, and all we see is the manger. It was a life and death of the Christ as a man that violated every tenant of heaven and earth. Every tenant. That he was the sustainer of all things. He came to us in a crib. He poured himself out for us on a cross. The one who possessed everything, who gave us everything, who created everything, he became nothing. Nothing. From the world's perspective, he was a fool, and the cross became a symbol of that foolishness. But it was through this downward plunge that, that Jesus truly received a name that is higher than every other name, Philippians 2. We're going to read 1 through 13. Listen to God. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being the very nature of God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Here we go. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord, and confess it to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but my, now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own soul salvation with fear. Baby ain't never saved nobody. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, what, what really concerns God is, is, is the fact that if we have a desire to ascend rather than to descend. We, we, we want to be up here, then, then we want nothing to do with humility. No, indeed. We, we promote ourselves to advance our cause. And we redefine Jesus through the circumstances of our lives and try to make him fit into our own way of, way of thinking. So again, what does he become to us? He becomes the toughest lineman on the football field. 
He becomes the best baseball player that plays hardball with rules to win. And then we use Jesus to justify our own main objectives in living as we strive for money, for power, and material possessions to spend on our own self-indulgences. Listen to me. When we follow Jesus from the crib to the cross, it is anything but self-indulgence. It's hard. It's hard for us to even imagine that God came as a servant in the upper room in the position of a foot washer. But he did. How much more could, could one descend? He can descend all the way to the cross. That's how far he can descend. It's hard to phantom God on his knees washing people's feet and then down on the cross to wash us from all of our sins. We live in a world where where losing is not easy. Jesus said in Luke 9, he says, what good is it for man to gain the whole world and lose his very soul? We live in a world where losing is not easy. If you don't believe that, follow a bunch of fellas to the golf course and watch the losers. Oh, man, they're throwing clubs all over the place. They're kicking. You know it. It it even comes closer to home when we see folks pouting because they don't get their way. But if you want to win, you must be willing to lose it all, to sacrifice it all for Christ. Give up self and gain Christ. God wants to be conceived and born in you and through you. He wants to be born in your hearts. Paul said that that God had chosen him from birth to reveal his son in him. And God also wishes to reveal his son in you. It's the most basic lesson that, that Christ taught. And that's what Christianity is all about. It's about Christ living in me. That's what it's about, living in me. It's the hope of the world. This is the only hope for the world. Jesus was God in the flesh, and that God desires to live within your heart, to live within your life, in your speech, in your walk. God desires to live in you, in you. John 14, 23. If a man love me, he's going to keep my commandments. And my father's going to love him, and, 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 and we will come to him, and we will make our abode with him. We will live with him. Live with him. This is what Isaiah said. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. His name shall be called the Prince of Peace. That's what Isaiah said. Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? For nothing is secret, Luke said, that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. He says, therefore, take heed how you hear. Do you hear what I hear? Isaiah didn't say anything about a swallowing clothes, a 
manger, shepherds. <laughs> Let me tell you what, what Pilate said. John 19, 5, then Jesus came out. He was wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to him, behold the man. He didn't say, look, I got a little baby right in this crib. We're going to try to take care of this baby right here for y'all because we know he's breaking all the laws, the Jewish laws. He says, no, behold the man, Jesus Christ, God's son. Behold our Savior, and behold him today within your own heart, within your mind. Behold the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, God's son, the Messiah. I don't know who you're looking for. And I don't know who your Jesus is. Only you know that. But I know Isaiah did not say that. Let's get that right. Amen. Amen. He didn't say that. He talked about the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And we have a mission. We have a responsibility to carry on that mission and that work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And not be babies about it. Amen. Amen. Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. King of the Jews, we are spiritual Jews. King of the Jews, behold the man, Pilate said. Behold the man. Listen to me. There's an eternity waiting for each one of us. If we, if we follow not only from the crib, but follow Jesus to the cross, Amen. to the cross. And, and, and you've got to repent. You've you, you got to be repentant and turn from selfish indulgence and refocus your life on Christ. Then God can begin to reveal Christ to you and through you. Because no man knoweth the Son but the Father. And the Father is in him and he's in the Father. But the Son knows the Father. And to whom the Son will reveal him, he will. And God will begin revealing himself when you turn to him in obedience. You've got to confess Christ. Confess him as the ruling master and lord of your life. You've got to hear what, what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. Not necessarily hear what I hear. Because again, Isaiah did not say any of that. You got to confess Christ in obedience as the ruler, master, and lord of your life. And commit to being buried in baptism, in the watery grave of baptism, to rise from those waters and begin a descent to the cross. And each step of the way, each step of the way will lead you closer to the very heart of God. You can be born again. You can be born, you, you, you can be a brand new baby. But you can't stay a baby once you're baptized. You have to grow into the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You have to become the person that God has called you to be, the man or the woman. You can't lay around as a Christian and just be a baby and expect people to come look at you. Listen, you might be the only hope that some have in refocusing their minds to see who Jesus is really is. We've got to stop looking down in the manger. We've got to start looking up at that cross 
and leads us to heaven. That's what we got to do. Because God wishes to reveal the true image of his son through each and every one of us. And we might be the only hope that some people have. We've got to refocus our minds and our hearts on God and his word so that he can reveal his son in and through us. That we must pick up our own cross and carry that cross for the greatness and the glory of God. The only way we can do that is to turn from our sin to focus our life on Christ. Follow him to the cross, and when you get there, die with him at the cross. <laughs> when we accept Jesus Christ, we're going to follow him from his descent from the crib to the ascent of the cross. If we choose not to obey and choose the self-indulgent course, we will pay the price of emptiness and utter disappointment. Christ, is a crib or cross? <clears throat> Who is your Jesus this morning? Who is your God this morning? I want to invite you to the invitation of God to hear his word and believe that he is a Christ, the son of the living God. To repent of your sins and confess Christ with your life and with your words. To be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Christ is the man. We accept him as we stand and sing the invitation song. There's a fountain free just for you and me. Will you face to his brink? Whether you want to respond to the gospel of Christ, will you come? Will you repent of your sins and be found in Christ, be baptized in the water grave of baptism, and come out as a member of Christ's body that he purchased with his own blood? Will you come? Will you come to the fountain? Will you come? Will you come? Tis Church. My, brother, my name is Pat, Brother Patrick Johnson. We'll do the invitation to prayer and the response card. Response card from Sister Rosanda Hall, health related. Prayers for my cousin Virginia Kelly and continue prayers for my daddy Bobby Crowder. Thanks. Sister Nettie Butter, Butler, I'm sorry, Traveling Grace. For my daughter and family from Alexandria to New Orleans. Thanks, Butler family. From Brother Patrick Seal, Confession of Sins. Church family, I, I asked of your prayers on the behalf of for forgiveness of my sins where I have transgressed in my heart, mind, and body. The grace and hope of blessings and getting and the gift of God, 
Lord of the Lord God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Forgive me if I say this wrong. I'm gonna try my best. Sister Annie Quieter asking for prayers, health-related, spiritual strength, and traveling grace. To bless my family to get stronger and stronger, praying for traveling grace for everyone on the highways and byways, and that my family will return in full. Thanks. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach the foot of your throne, we ask for your mercy and forgiveness. We also ask that you use your healing hands on these brothers and sisters that need that healing. Give them comfort and peace. Help them to carry on along this journey. We ask that you put your merciful hands around those that's on the highways and protect them let them get that to their destination safely and return just as safe. We ask for all the ones that need medical healing, that's sitting on their bed of affliction. And although it may not be physical, maybe it's spiritual, mental, we ask that you touch them, give them the healing that they need, let them know that it's gonna be all right that you will never leave them. And lastly, Father, we ask that you recharge all of your saints in all the churches, churches of Christ nationwide, worldwide. Give them the strength to carry on along this faithful journey. Pick them up, dust them off. Forgive those that have fallen and let them know that you are still with them and you love them even more. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And repair our hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear Falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known now we've come to the part of our service quick communion i will be reading from matthew 26 26 verse through 29 and it reads <coughs> and as they were eating Jesus took bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, 
which, I, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we take part in this Holy Communion, let us not take it in vain. Let us not take it as just some ritual that we do. But let us understand the importance of it. Make sure that we take it with a clean heart, mind, body, and soul. Amen. Now we're at the part of the service for collection. You can make before or after church. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, the first and the second verse. Now concerning the collection for the saints. I have given orders to the churches of Galatia so that you must do also. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, and God has prospered him, and that there be no offerings, no gatherings when I come. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we make these collection offerings, we ask that it is used to prosper and give glory to your kingdom. Bless over the men that's handling money. May their heart be pure and use it to glorify your kingdom. Amen. A little boy, I should hear this all the time, and I guess it's appropriate. Let the church say amen. amen. <laughs> it's good that you're here this morning, and God has blessed us yet for another opportunity to come out, worship, and praise God in spirit and in truth. And uh, I have a, a couple of visitors' cards. Well, let me just say this before I get to the visitors' cards. If you've uh, tasted that the uh, the cup was a little might have been a little sour, we're not trying to give you no toddy. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to change that up. I've noticed the last couple of weeks it was just a little bit, a little strong there for me. I'm going home a little weak there. So we're gonna have to, we're gonna change that basket out for those of you who've had that. Uh, amen. <laughs> we have uh, 
couple of visitors calls. I have a Kevin Armstead. It's in the bag back there. He's a vis visitor from Brother uh, Freddie Vaughn. Good to have you with us this morning. It's a pleasure. Anything you want to say? All right, good, 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 good. Oh, good. It's good, good to have you with us this morning. Always refreshing. Gotcha. Uh -huh. Gotcha. Pleasure to have you here. Thank you. And uh, Brother Vaughn's brother, Tyrone Vaughn. There he is. Good morning to you. Anything you might want to say? Appreciate you. Thank you. Looking forward to looking forward to visiting us again. Thank you. That's Tyrone Vaughn's, the brother of uh, Freddie Vaughn. Yeah. Now, now we have, you know, Lavon is here, but she's a regular visitor to the congregation. Lavon Wilson. Show me, show me where you at, Lavon. There she is. But a lot of folks hadn't really knew who LaVon was, but I want you to, to, to know who LaVon is. She, she visits us all the time, all the time. So wrap your arms around and get to know uh, LaVon as she uh, continues to make her presence known with us in this congregation. And also have uh, Derek Wilson and his family. It's Jennifer and uh, their, their two children, their two lovely daughters. It's good to have you here this morning. Whenever y'all come around, we always grace by your appearance and it's refreshing to see y'all as well. And I want to say to anybody and everybody, again, uh, happy holidays. You'll have a good holiday season. And may God continue to bless you in your endeavors as we move forward in this particular week. Point out. Oh, that's her sister. She always comes. Yeah, that's Sister McQuarrie's sister. We know who she is. Yeah, uh, Miss Mary, yep, comes all the time. I think she came bearing gifts. Y'all better get her this morning, too. <laughs> And, and I'd be really amiss if I didn't say that on last Sunday, after service was over, we had a baptism. A brother was uh, born into Christ. Uh, his name is Colby Robert, and he is the nephew of the Halls. They've done a good job teaching him, and uh, he was ready to be baptized into Christ. We had a little meeting in the back. He asked some questions, and, and uh, he was really ready. And I, I really appreciate the fact that God continues to, uh, to show his glory in and through us as we become members of his body. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good day. May God bless and keep. Let's all be standing as we come to the close of our fellowship this morning. I know that my Redeemer
God, we thank you ever so much for watching over this assembly as we learn about your word and about your son and about the gift that he's given, that the gift that you've given to us through him. Now, as we go before you this first day of the week, this first day, Father God, we just trust and pray that we would be an example to those that do not understand our religious conviction, that we might be the example that is set forth from earth to heaven so that they can see the glorification of your love in us. We ask, Father God, that you be with everybody on this holiday weekend and this holiday end of the year coming up. We just ask that you strengthen us where we're weak and build us where we're torn down and give us all the blessings that we stand in need of. We stand on your word and convicted in your word. We love you and we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name, amen.